Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another Wednesday afternoon, an episode, I think like 81, of, of uh, Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. This is Action Movie Anatomy. We're breaking down the 1994 classic film, True Lies. Is it the last good film Schwarzenegger ever made? We're not sure. We're going to talk about it. We'll see you in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Tango. I'm not going to tango with you. I want to do that move where I lay limp and you drag me yeah. across the floor. Right. Yeah. That's a good move. Where <laughs> the heel drags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network. Uh, we talk movies here. Everything related to movies. And we talk action movies on this show specifically. I'm your host, Ben Bateman, joined today by the co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and man with a plan, Mr. Andrew Guy. Hey, what's up, everybody? There's my golf clap, so happy to be here. Today's a very special day for many reasons. Mm. True Lies is probably the Arnold movie that I've seen the most in my life. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But it's also my mother's birthday today. Oh, Supac. Supac. You're such a handsome boy, Andrew. (laughs) Thank you, Mom. Thank you. Uh, My mother's, uh, it's her birthday. There's a picture of us up on the screen there. It's It's a good hairdo, Mom. It's a very good hairdo. I love you very much. Happy birthday and... I remember watching this movie with my mom and her always being like, I love tango. I want the tango. Yeah. <laughs> so this is for you, mom. Thanks for watching. It's a violent film to watch with your mother. It is. It was it's, very violent. Yeah. I remember going to see Gangs of New York with my mom. Whoa. And after the opening scene, she's like, I don't know if we should be here. Yeah. <laughs> that's a real That's movie. real gnarly. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Uh, uh, happy birthday, mom. <laughs> so glad you're watching. And guys, I am so excited to talk about Arnold. And with what you said in the opening, yeah, that's part of my thesis. So I, I can't wait to break this down. Yeah, absolutely. It was I. I figured I would, uh, you know, pick your pocket there on that uh-huh. and introduce it nice and early. I could see the frustration in your face when I said it, but you know, <laughs> I almost lunged across. Here the we table. are. <laughs> Pop you like uh, Arnold does to Paxton real right. quick in the car. In your mind, that's what you did. That's exactly. what I, I was did. bleeding down my face. <laughs> And then we cut back, and I was doing the real <laughs> intro. Um, so welcome to the show, guys. We have four rules that we talk about here uh, as we discuss action movies. Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Again, True Lies is part of that that classic ilk of action movie where yeah. it's like the rules that we wrote for the show were based on movies like this. Um, it's not like, you know, Lone Survivor or something where you're sort of like looking for them. Uh, Braveheart. It's like, of course, like Schwarzenegger is that guy. Yeah, I mean, back then in the 90s, Action movies were about the one-man army, yep. and you can't be a one-man army if you don't play by your own rules. Yeah, he does whatever he wants, you know, he's the, the best at what he does. He sure is. Mr. President, one of our best men is inside, even though that's never in the actual movie. No. Yeah, it's only in the trailer. Um, rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. I would say that, uh, yeah, right, the villain. Yeah, Aziz or whatever. Yeah. I, I do like that moment when he comes in, he's like, can I? talk to you real quick yeah 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 just goes nuts and you're like okay this guy's kind of a badass and he has that horrible line or no she has that horrible line but she's a villain so yeah yeah it's like such it's like such a horrible domestic abuse 90s line exactly 90s line that would never happen in a movie you could not put that in a movie even if she was a villain she he slaps her across the face and she says to him it's a good thing you're paying me a lot of money it's like Wait a minute. So, but but again, she's a villain and a mercenary, right. so like she's supposed to be like broken, which is the point. I actually think that her character is the least complete character. Like she doesn't really make sense to me. You right. know what I mean? Like Agreed. she's just like an art distributor that all of a sudden becomes a terrorist and yeah. like and then she's bad at the end. She's like willing to kill Jamie like execute Jamie Lee Curtis at point blank range because she slapped her. Right. It just didn't really make a lot of sense for me. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that line was very odd. You and I both looked at each other and were like, the hell? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's I mean, that's like one of those era things. It's 22 years later, you know? It's like we're, we're in a different culture now. Like, not to say that in any way, shape, or form that Hitting a Woman was okay in 1994. Of course it wasn't. But there's, like, a representation in a fun movie like this. Exactly. That, like, you could write that line and be like, that's a good joke. Right, that's okay. No one will be bothered by that. We're, like, now... It's just weird. I guess you could still put it in a movie. It just means, it feels like it means something different in our culture now than it did 22 years ago to write a line in like a comedy action movie. So uh, rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Yes, definitely. He works for the government. The Omega. Yeah. Omega Sector. Omega Sector, the last line of defense. Which is modeled after S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Because Charlton Heston is Nick Fury, exactly obviously, with the, with the eye patch, um, and then rule number four: there's a minimum of one explosion. Again, we these movies are 
created. Like, like these movies are created to, like, well, they weren't created to serve our show. Our show is created to serve these movies. But, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, these are the movies we reference. So, yeah, it's a perfect fit. Yep. Across the board. Um, we are going to start out, guys, by, by letting you know where you can find us. Because, at the end of the episode today, we're going to be answering an important question asked by Twitter user Octane Fetty. Uh, we, we're going to introduce that later in the show. So, if you're watching or listening Octane Fetty, just know we're going to discuss your AMA question of the day. Thank you for submitting that. There was a bunch of great ones this week. There was a lot. We're actually going to do two. We also have at uh, King Nabi. We have two questions this week. So, guys, stick around if you want to hear the answer to those. But, yeah, I think people were super stoked to talk about True Lies. Yes. And to do that, you can find the podcast at AMA podcast on Twitter um, or leave your comments and thoughts in the section below on the live chat uh, the, the things do kind of get washed away in the end because we're not able to uh, you know, actually pull up the live chat. Yeah, I'll try uh, to pull it up right now. For In its totality. Um, and then last but not least, guys, if you do want to follow along with us personally, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. And you guys can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, and if you guys want to ask any questions or things like that, just let us know. So, uh, so thank you so much. Let's get into it. Uh, Marissa, can we introduce you before asking you to cue the trailer? We have Marissa Serafini in the booth. Hello, gentlemen. I love this movie. Yeah, this is one of your faves, right? I love this movie, so I'm really excited what you had to say about it. I feel like you've been talking about this movie with us for like a year now. Mm -hmm. Probably. This is like, there's like... Better part of a year. There's like the Rocky movies, and then like a few others, and then this movie that come up a lot. Marissa did the Rocky Four watch along with us, and... It's fun. I, we've gotten so blessed with our engineers between Marissa, Mark, and and uh, Jonathan because and Steven, and Steven uh, the original engineer, just because yeah. they're such diehard fans of the movies that we are. So we love having you up in the booth, Marissa, and thank you so much for helping our show work. Yeah, you do a show every week called Anatomy of a Movie on the Popcorn Talk Network. It's a similar format. Uh, it's a little less segmented, I think, but mm-hmm. uh, you guys break down the newest movies of the week. So where can the folks find you if they want to hear about that? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV, and then also Anatomy of a Movie Show airs every Friday from 12 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Wow. That's so a weekend breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on that show so long ago for Terminator uh, Genesis. Schwarzenegger. Yep. Schwarzenegger, yeah. Uh, anyway, all right, let's, let's get this trailer rolling. It's not a good trailer. No. King Nabi is so excited that we're going to talk about his question, by really? the way. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. You were the big hit of the show. That was fantastic. You were the big hit of the show. <laughs> It never gets old. That's the beauty of the Schwarzenegger accent. <laughs> it's so good. It never gets old. And it's the only one. Yeah. You know, no one else sounds like that. Yeah. I don't believe I've met you before. Rehnquist. Harry Rehnquist. Listen to the following code word. Psychotics. It's raging psychotics. They're about to collide. What's your exit strategy? I'm going to walk right out of the front gate. May I see your invitation, please? Sure. I think it's because he had the confidence yeah. to never have to get a good accent. <laughs> never try to get rid of it. No. Mr. Tasker's office. Hi, it's Helen. Is he in? How is he in a sales meeting, Mrs. Tasker? It's not like he's saving the world or anything. It's just not a good trailer. It's so frantic. It cuts around a lot. Just like, look at all this cool stuff we have. Yeah. Hi, Helen. Harry forgot something back at the office. Whenever I can't sleep, I just ask him to tell me about his day. Six seconds and I'm out. I think a lot of it is because so many of the things that, like, made this movie great stunts-wise in the camera world were just, like, really big, well-executed action stunts. Yeah. Whereas the things that made a lot of his other things great in the sci-fi world were were action stunts and practical effects making incredible sci-fi-looking things. Exactly. And so those still look incredible. Whereas now, because this is just like cutting around, it's like a big action thing. This stuff just all gets done with CGI now, so it's like, yeah, it doesn't really stand out. Yeah, and even though a lot of it was still practical when James Cameron made this, because that's his style, it's still it's not the same like innovative directing and creative directing that you got from the other films you've seen him do. Yeah, like it was still special. There's like some sweet, sweet stunts. Yeah, and and you and I both had that moment when they're sitting in the helicopter at the end of the film. Yeah, and you can see that. 
that's a real F-16 or a Harrier jet that's flying right next to it. And you and yeah. I were both like, damn, this budget must be high. Insane, yeah. You know? It's the first movie ever to go over $100 million. Do you know that? Uh, d- I did not. Yeah. It definitely makes sense. T2 though. was the first movie to go for 100 Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's Cameron Something for you. about James Cameron being able to get money from uh, production companies. Yeah, You'll right. Never be able to figure that out. Yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, that is, uh, that is the trailer for True Lies. Not a particularly great trailer. 1994 makes sense. Um, yeah, that's a bad trailer. Yeah, it's a really bad. When did when did Crimson Tide come out? Ninety five. Exactly. Yes. So you can you can do it. You can make good trailers in the mid nineties. What we've always known <laughs> becomes what we've always feared. Yeah. We should just do that movie again. Can we just queue up Crimson? <laughs> That's just like one of my favorite movies we've ever done on the show. I don't. I had never seen it. Right. Yeah. When I watched it with you, and then I now whenever it's on cable, I always turn it on. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's very good. Vigo is very sweaty. Yeah, he's super sweaty. <laughs> and there's great sweaty Vigo shots in the trailer they too. Sure are. <laughs> sweaty Steve Zahn, sweaty Vigo, <sighs> sweaty was... Matt Craven, <laughs> sweaty, sweaty everyone, sweaty Gandolfini. I was gonna say Gandolfini. R.I.P. Such a shit weasel. Yeah, but the greatest. So uh, absolutely. Let's uh, let's continue moving on, guys. We're gonna we're gonna kick things off with thesis statement. This is a really good one. I think we both have a great thesis mm-hmm. statement. Uh, so thesis statement is is sort of. It's your talking point at a party, so to speak. It's when the movie comes up, you know you're an expert on a topic, and you want to say to someone, well, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. This is what you open with. And this kind of leads the conversation. So Drew and I both like to introduce one, and we, we invite yours as well on the chat or in, on Twitter. If you have a thought that's really strong about the movie, there's a lot of strong opinions about True Lies. It's, it's a classic Schwarzenegger film. It's uh, one of the big set-piece 90s action movies. Like It kind of sets the tone for a lot of what the 90s action movies feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one of the last great ones of that era before things started to kind of change. Yeah, like this really does completely epitomize what is a 90s action movie other than gratuitous uh, upper body nudity from a female. Yes. That's the only thing that's missing and I know that sounds sexist but it's not. If you go back and you watch 90s action movies that was always in there for some odd reason. It was never even like it was never for a purpose. It was just there. Jamie Lee Curtis was supposed to be nude in the scene. Exactly and I think that would have been very uncomfortable. Super. It's already borderline uncomfortable. Yeah. It already feels like sort of like I don't know what purpose this really serves. Right. Yeah, yeah, because the whole point of it is, like, in Arnold's mind is to kind of, like, trick his wife into feeling, like, yeah. naughty or whatever, and then revealing that it's him and them being happy, but it's just weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess they wanted to, maybe they, they really wanted to show how sexy she was, and that was the... Her body's insane. Insane, yeah. Never seen Jamie Curtis look like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my thesis statement I'm going to open up with, uh, because we introduced yours already, and so okay. you, we'll give you the opportunity to defend that in a minute, is... That this is the greatest missed sequel opportunity of the 90s um, in any genre. And it's funny, too, because that's the same thesis statement you used on Predator. Yes. Um, and your point was that Predator was the greatest missed sequel opportunity of Arnold's career. Mm-hmm. And they mean different things because they tried to make a sequel for Predator and it wasn't good. Because it didn't have Arnold. No. It needed Arnold. Yeah. Whereas this one, they didn't ever even try. Well, they did. I'm sorry. It was in production for a long time. It got shut down. But if you think about all of the things that make this movie great, all of the factors that are in play, it doesn't make any sense that it never happened. Like, think about it. A, the movie ends with an obvious, obvious, like, this is the way things are now. Now they're a family of secret agents. Like, now they can do the job together. They're all happy family. So... It already sets up to have that. You have. Do they camp- have a real quick a one year later in there? Or yeah. No? Yeah, yeah. So she's been doing it for a year now. She's established herself as a spy. Continue. Cameron is a franchise director. He made Avatar. Now he's making three more. He made Terminator 1. He made Terminator 2. He directed the sequel to Aliens. Like, mm-hmm. even something as simple as his documentaries. One is titled Ghosts of the Abyss. This just in, he made a movie called The Abyss. Like, no. Cameron <laughs> loves to franchise his films. When he has an idea, he doesn't like to let it go. He likes to keep it going. He's a guy that goes all in on his ideas and he's going to run it, not to the ground, he's just going to run it till it's done. Yeah, he couldn't have made a sequel to Titanic, but if if there's a sequel in play, he will make it. So it's bizarre that this movie, not only that, but it made so much money. It made so much money. It had the biggest actor in the world in it who didn't just stop making action movies. No. He went on to make bad action movies. Exactly. The rest of his action movies that he made in the 90s were pretty forgettable movies, which is... uh, so it's just one of those things where maybe Cameron was busy, but I mean, when you consider that he was willing to make this movie in the first place, it's shocking that the sequel didn't get made three years later. Absolutely. The True Lies 2 didn't come out in 1997 is unbelievable. It's just like... Yeah, it, it really makes no sense. With setting up the story, with Eliza Dushku becoming an actress, and she was already great in the first one, 
getting older. You got Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, she's not at the height of her career yet. She's on her way up. She's been doing things. She's done Halloweens. You know, she she just started breaking out as, like, a leading actress. A Fish Called Wanda was a few years earlier. Yeah, and there was that one where she was the the mother's boys, where she was kind of like the evil, crazy mom that left and came back. But, like... Arnold picked the script out. He loved it. He thought yeah. this was it. So, like, why not just make it again, even if it wasn't with Cameron? Yeah. Which it doesn't feel like it would have been. That's the strangest part to me, and I think we've both talked about that, that uh, they wouldn't necessarily need Cameron to do the second movie. No. So the thing that's so strange to me is that Schwarzenegger and the studios didn't decide to immediately get a sequel made. There was a, there was a script. Mm-hmm. Everything was in place for it. It was supposed to happen in, in the early 2000s. It didn't end up happening because of 9-11 and, and Cameron has gone on record saying that terrorism was no longer funny. Um, right. It, it, not, not funny, but it was no longer a laughing matter. He didn't want to make an action comedy about terrorism. Um, he was just done with it. And so yeah. I, I guess that does make sense to me. That part makes sense. But there's... Every other country or parts of the world, or even we don't even care in the '90s or the early 2000s who the bad guy really is. Not, but and also when you think about like these franchises, like the Lethal Weapon franchise and these successful ones in the '80s and '90s, like this was '94. Mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger made he made Eraser in '96. He made End of Days and Sixth Day between '96 and 2000. Collateral Damage in '03. Like I want to be upset with him, but and like. I this can't is, be upset with people who are disabled. I, right. It's like the rude greeters at Walmart. Like, like I, I want to be angry, but but like also like okay, I get it. I get it. It's yeah. rough, but like, that's true. The thing about it, like it's another one of those don't give up too much of yourself in a relationship. I feel like they are in a relationship out of guilt. Yeah, and, yes. and that is why he's so spiteful because it's like I think in his mind he's like I can't do any better I married you you put me in this position and like he's well, punishing her, her and it is her fault and this thing like so he's punishing her by sticking around and also punishing himself because he's like he probably feels like I can't do any better because yes. look at me look what I am now I can't even have sex who's ever gonna want yep. me and then she is like I put you in this position how can I just leave which yep. is a conversation she literally has and I'm like I get it and I'm like I want to be mad at him but I get it like mm-hmm. i get why he is so petty about all of this because he's, he's mad he's he's hurt by her yeah. and i don't think they've ever really dealt with it and i think they've had a good front for yeah. a very long time and i think that them trying to participate in sexual activity cracked that and it's like so okay I mean, now we really have to. however can we talk about this a little bit i personally felt like he was being selfish about the entire like sexual act he when he was talking to bill he was like I mean, she was pleased, but I wasn't. Like, she had sex, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you're in a relationship, sometimes you give more than you receive. And I felt like she is married to someone who can't perform sexually, and you've now figured out a way to be able to please her. Like, why can't that be okay with you? Just because you're not getting your rocks off, it's an issue? Like, I I was pissed. He's He's probably, like, jealous, though. Yeah. Because he's like, well, you put me in this position, and now I can't feel anything from it, but But your benefit, you You still still get all, like, you get, it's like, maybe it's one of those things where you get everything. You, you're the alcoholic, and I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. You were the alcoholic who put me in this wheelchair, and you still get to have sex. But didn't you say they both were alcoholics? Like, it was more of a, like, who's less drunk to drive? So I feel like... was like See, that. I guess that's what I heard. I didn't pick up on that. They were leaving a bar. I know, and I guess I guess I just didn't. I knew that they well, were leaving a bar. I would hope if you were sober, you <laughs> would have took the damn drive, key. Drive. Yeah, because it's really your fault. Yeah, is it really my fault I, if I, you you knew I'm drunk and, and yeah. you give me sober the keys? Me the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I okay. agree. You're, probably, you're probably right. They probably both were drunk. And but, I, there's no Uber then. So 100. <laughs> there were cabs, but 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 at any rate, I still can I can imagine him feeling that way. That it's like you get everything like yeah. your life is scot free when you are the reason that my I'm life is so sure bad. she bathes him that is a lot <laughs> <Stop>. okay <laughs> he just wants to get off and i which i, I mean, get it but i'm just like if he didn't even let the process continue to figure out if there was a way to try right. to figure out if he yeah. could get some kind of stimulation and i felt like from going back and rewatching the clip like he was feeling some sense of like pleasure, just not in that general area. I mean, he like, like there's like remapping there's the arguments brain, right? Like about like I don't know. You could. I feel like he could still benefit from the situation in right. a different way. Yeah. Right. He just he didn't could. really give it a big enough chance. Thank you. Like if you love me, you'll do this. Can't you? Can't we figure this out? Yeah. Between each other, and the same goes for whatever's ailing him. Like, what's your issue? So we can get any movie we've ever done. Yeah, that episode <laughs> and the <laughs> impressions and the lines and just like the 
just we love it. We adore yeah. that film so much. It's it just, oozes. It's the best. So yeah, you can find shirts. There's a there's like an authentic sponsored site, uh, licensed Predator shirts. Some really good ones. Very it's cool. The stuff. handshake and it says "You son of a bitch." Yeah, <laughs> some great ones. Uh, so let's move on to the next section of the show, guys. This is called fist pump moment. Uh, this is a good one. People tend to share their fist pump moments on Twitter with us, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to go outright and say, well, I should introduce what a fist pump moment yeah, is. Yeah, you should, because this, this is a great one. Yeah. yeah. Fist pump moment is that moment in the movie, something happens, you kind of look around, you're like, are you seeing this right now? This is so fucking sweet. Is this really actually happening? I get to watch the rest of this movie right now. Yes, this is great. It could be anything. It could be a, a line from a character, the first time a character's on screen, the title music, the credits, whatever you want. Like, Even the cover of the box or something like anything. that. Anything. Like Magnificent Seven, my fist pump moment was when I realized that Vincent D'Onofrio was in the film and he was yeah. crazy. Yeah. You know? So, Excellent. Um, my fist pump moment in this movie is Bill Paxton, period. Like, not even a single scene, just him as a character in the movie. How could it not be? Yeah. He is gold. Yeah. Like, gold. Gold. And and my favorite thing was sitting there thinking, game over, man. Yeah. Game over. And James Cameron's like, I want that guy to be the shit weasel in True Lies. Yeah, he's, Paxton has had such a wonderful career, such an entertaining career, worked with so many good people. Um, he's done so many different characters. He's played everything from the guy you love to the guy that you want to die. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's uh, he's even in Terminator 1. Do you remember who he is? He's one of the thugs that Schwarzenegger, when he first... Oh, in the beginning. The very beginning. Yeah. Um, nice night for a walk. Yeah. Because like, yeah, they say that. That's, he's like, nice night for a walk. And he's right. like, he's, he's got like the mohawk or whatever like that. Yeah. Yeah, the... Yeah, the guys in the park, the ones yeah. he beats up, right? Yeah, yeah. right at the beginning. Um, okay, so that's your fist pump is just Paxton in general. Just Paxton in general. He has, he has numerous lines that are great. Yeah. Uh, his scenes, this movie's strange, it's too long, and... He has like a 40, he has like a short film in this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it, this movie is too long, and, and like, though I don't even think that it's this part that's too long. I actually think it's the action stuff in the second half that's too long. Yeah, this part's great. Yeah, this part's like easily my favorite part of the whole movie. Paxton's just wonderful. Yeah, I guess if Aziz somehow died on the compound and yeah. they cut that last little bit, would have been good. You didn't need to bring the daughter back in. Uh, okay, so my fist pump moment, it was hard to not be Paxton because yeah. I was watching the film and I've seen this movie a lot lately on cable. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's it's always on and I always turn it on. Um, so Paxton's awesome, but I was trying to find like a real like a real fist pump moment in True Lies. Like yeah. one that I was sitting there and watching and I was like, that's sweet. And I did have it, and it was when we were watching it yesterday, and it's when Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis, they've just escaped on the compound or on the island, and they're up on the in the rafters. And yeah. it gets really ridiculous after this when she drops the gun and kills everybody. But just for a moment, when Aziz is sitting there, like, breaking down his, his master plan and how he's going to destroy America and all that, and they're kind of, like, sitting there like, oh, my God, what do we do? You know, who's going to stop him? And Arnold just looks over, and he's just like, we are. Or, like, it's just you and yeah. me. And it's kind of that cool moment that you you get of they're a team now. They're yeah. relate. Their marriage is fixed. They are in this together, and you know that they can't they can't fail. And I think that was my real like legitimate. This is a legitimate action comedy, and that was my real fist bump moment. So um, Cameron on record has said that this movie is a love story above all else. And he always says that about his films. Yeah, and it's funny. Ryan Brookhart, who's our friend, who mm-hmm. came on, he actually did the Terminator 2 and the Pre- and the Aliens episodes with us. I get him back um, on. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Uh, his thesis about, I think it was Aliens. I think it was on Aliens, but his thesis was that every Cameron movie is a love story. Yeah. Um, and... And it's with this one, it's true. If you really think about it, that's, I mean, those are the parts of the movie that, that the relationships that matter the most. Absolutely. I mean, that's what drives this whole, the whole film. It's not the, it's not the bombs. Yeah. It's, it's also, a, what do we call those? What are they called? MacGuffins? But what are they? I can't remember. There's, there's a term they use in another film, but the, the nuke is really kind of like a MacGuffin in this film. Yeah, it doesn't right. matter. It's never going to go off. We all know that. Yeah. Well, it does go off. Well, yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. It's not going <laughs> to kill everybody. A nuke went off off the coast, but it's not going to hurt anyone. Just ignore it. The yeah. fish are all dead. <laughs> And the fishermen. Terrible. Um, All right, guys, moving on to the next part of the show. We are going to get into character profiles of these actors. We're Mm going to talk about where they were in their careers. As you mentioned, Jamie Lee Curtis was kind of on her way up. She'd been in the sequel to My Girl, Mother's Boys, Forever Young. Um, She, the role was written for her. Yeah. um, By Cameron. 
and uh, a lot of actresses. Like I read, there was there was some there was like ten, there was like fifteen. Yeah, like big name actresses. Some of some of whom um, are not listed here. It because, looks like our printer ran out of ink or colored ink. But some of the ones were were uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was on the list. Demi Moore was on there. Madonna. Mm-hmm. Um, these are some of the bigger names. I mean, there were some huge people that wanted this role. Um, I mean, this is Cameron's follow up to Terminator Two. Which was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an interesting script. And like, it's right before he, he does Titanic. Yeah, he's it's that's like the other most interesting thing um, about this movie and what it means to his career. Uh, and we'll talk about that a bit more when we talk about his sort of backstory. But yeah. um, it's the most normal movie he ever made. It's the it's the most sort of traditional, simple. I looked over to you and I said, "Is this film indicative of what James Cameron's career could have been?" Hmm. You know, and and. It's hard to say. It's it's really hard to sit back and look at early works and be like, ah, this is what Christopher Nolan's career could have been based off of uh, yeah, Hard Eight. No, not Hard Eight. I'm thinking of, of a different guy, but uh, I'm thinking of P.T. Anderson. Yeah. But it's when you see a director's early works. Cameron's so weird because he does. He's done some of the greatest films of all time, yep. and then he does True Lies, and then he continues to make films that are re- renowned as some of the greatest and most successful of all time. Do you think there was a chance that he? Would be of like a throwaway action director. Do you think that was in his blood at all? No, because this movie is this movie is him his version of like an action comedy. It's right. like it's him. It's him like taking every opportunity. Like some some of the stunts and the, the effects in this movie are nuts. Um, stuff that we commend. Stuff that we commend like Mission Impossible Three for doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ten years later, twelve years later, like this movie's doing practically in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, like, that's. He always was a genius with doing things ahead of its time and practically. Yeah, he's just amazing when it comes to that stuff. So, so yeah. Jimmy Lee Curtis, it, it's definitely interesting from from a strictly like those other actresses that read for this part. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not she's not like a like a leading lady bombshell in the way that some of those others are. Michelle Pfeiffer or yeah. a Demi Moore, like it's just the f- it's. Never mind, I'm not gonna say it. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. There's it's, something about her. There's just something about her. She's super sexy in the movie, but yeah. it's interesting, and it almost makes it so that like, it almost makes it so that like it's it makes it better. I think it makes it better. I make the, it makes the it character does. better. It make because it makes their relationship real. It makes her believable. If she's like a supermodel married yeah. to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and and he's a salesman, and she's an accountant for the lawyer or uh, a DA's whatever. That just doesn't make sense. Right. Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't work in that office. Right. Okay? She's a supermodel actress. Yeah. 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 So that's that's where Jamie Lee Curtis was. Her career continued, and she she had a successful career, but she sort of uh, this I think was her sort of shining moment. If I if I unless I can I agree. And the re- and the reason I'm going to say that is because uh, I know you read the trivia as well as I did, but going in and seeing that like this is Tom Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis's high point of their career. In their eyes, yeah, not in our eyes or critics' eyes. They both said this is the the most fun they've ever had working on a yeah, film. Yeah, best thing, thing they're most proud of. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, think about the this the scale, like the scope of this movie, how big it was, who you're working with. You're working with Schwarzenegger as the leading guy, Cameron is your James director. Cameron, who's yeah. the writer and director, biggest budget ever. Yeah, it's it's a huge, huge, huge deal. And and this is the kind of movie too that uh, people are remembered as as being massive for having one credit like this. You know what I'm saying? Without this movie, it's like Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Arnold's careers are a totally different, totally different beast. Yeah, absolutely. It's some one thing as big as this changes the game. Wait, hold on here, Jonathan Peck. Are you talking about Paxton? He's the only guy that got killed by oh no, a predator, an alien, and a Terminator. Who is that? Uh, Paxton, Arnie, and the new Predator. He didn't get killed by a Predator. Or alien. You got it. You got to follow that up. I got to know. I'm so curious about. I don't it. think Paxton's ever killed by a predator. No, was, he was, was Paxton in Predator, in predator Two. Maybe. <clears throat> oh, maybe he was. Does he have a small role or something that I'm forgetting? That wouldn't surprise me. Ninety-two. I don't no. know. Follow, follow that up, brother. I got to know. I'm so curious. Now moving on to Schwarzenegger. Um, this is like when we did Terminator Two. Uh, th- it's funny because that's 1991. So mm-hmm. his movie before this is Last Action Hero in 1993, T2 in 91, and Kindergarten Cop in 1990. He's got a cameo in Dave in 1992, right? But that's just he plays himself. He just shows up yeah. for a second. Um, prior to this, you're talking late '80s movies. You're talking Predator. You're talking about like Total Recall. I think is 1990 mm-hmm. or 89 or something like that. So this is when he starts to make the transition into comedy. Kindergarten Cop, Junior, right? Last Action Hero is, is self-referential. It's kind of a parody. Yeah. He, he goes into action comedies essentially. This is an action comedy. Yeah. 
Um, he sort of tried to switch back in the late 90s a little bit. He tried to do the, so, some more like sort of serious right. action movies, all the ones we mentioned. But he had this attempt in the mid-90s yeah. to do comedy. Paxton was in Predator 2. That is an awesome fact that we now know. He's killed by a Predator, an alien. And a Terminator. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we love you guys as our fans. <laughs> this is why. Okay. I didn't know that. Me neither. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen Predator 2 in a long time. I think I've only seen it once. Yeah, well, it's got Gary Busey in it, so you gotta watch it. It's worth watching. Um, <laughs> Predator coming. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, Schwarzenegger. This is definitely like an interesting part of his career. It begs the question: What are the top five Arnold Schwarzenegger movies ever made? It's this. This is this relates to your thesis statement, and you know we we've discussed this at, at times. It's hard to evaluate. It's kind of he's discussing what is good versus what is entertaining is the basis for a lot of the ranking on this show. A lot of the discussions that this show has, it's like that's kind of the whole point, is we tried to intellectualize something that was throwaway to most people. Right. Um, that's kind of talking about his career. It's a good way to put it, what we do on this show. That's what we tried to do. Yeah. That was the point in the first place, was that we thought there was value and culture and all this fun stuff. Context. 80, years, 80 episodes later, we found out we were 100% right. Yeah. So I'll go with my number five. I'm going to count down here. Okay. Um, and my number five is Pumping Iron. That's so funny because that's my honorable mention. Okay, yeah. It's one of the... Hey, Scully, how are you doing? <laughs> Scully. So Schwarzenegger, uh, this is for those of you that don't know, and I'm assuming most of you do because... I it's mean, Schwarzenegger. It's Schwarzenegger. This movie's fucking sweet. Yes. Um, Pumping Iron came out in 1977. It's a documentary about Schwarzenegger is, uh, competing to win his final Mr. Olympia. Yep. Uh, I, a competition that he won seven times and then retired and went into acting. Uh, seven times. Seven In a times. row, right? Yes. Yeah, and... Yeah. Never I, lost. He was the best. He was the best, and you watch with his work ethic, and he's working out against, like, Lou Ferrigno and, and yeah. these people that are legends. My cats. My cats. Ken Waller. I love... Ken Waller's such a dick. Yeah, he's it's the best. so good. Um, when he takes... He cats his shirt. Yeah, he's like, you see my shirt? He's got a blue crusher on it. After he lost. Yeah. Oh, I gotta go congratulate him. Mike won. That's great. That's so rough. That's so sad. Yeah. Uh, I turned this movie on last Christmas for my family. Yeah. Uh, we were all trying to watch something. We didn't know what to throw on. And I turned it on. They're like, what is this? Does it get to the coming part and they turn it off? No, what happened? <laughs> coming. When I'm thinking it's like coming. No, I turn it on. They were... They were completely engaged yeah. for the whole thing. It's a great, 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 hilarious, ridiculous, weird, and awesome movie. It's, yeah. it's about the 1975 competition. The weightlifters that he does the movie with are super entertaining. Even the voiceover of the of the um, the narrator has this like totally 70s feel to it. Yeah. Like his yeah. voice, it's like Gold Gym, Venice, California. Yeah. With some of the top bodybuilders in the world. Like, that's what the guy sounds like. That's You're like, actually really good. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. Uh, it's so fit. go watch Pumping Iron if you haven't seen it. Pumping okay? Iron's great. All right. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go Kindergarten Cop as my five. Number five! I love it. Whoa! Now, so you and I, we've had this discussion a lot on our on this show because we used to rank our movies all the time, which we are going to come back to. Um <clears throat> We always talk about rating greatness as, as enjoyability and, and combining the two to create yeah. what actually makes a movie our favorite. Kindergarten Cop was a movie that I watched with my sister every time I went and visited her in Utah. We loved it. The bad guy was so bad. Arnold was so good. Yeah. And and I was a kid at the time. So I like I was like, I want to hang out with Arnold Schwarzenegger. There is no bathroom. Yeah. yeah. It's not a Puma. Um, it's not a Puma. It's a ferret. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Kindergarten Cop has to be number five. I've seen that movie less than everyone else on my list, but more than yeah. any of his other films. Yeah. Uh, number four is going to be True Lies for me. Uh, we're, we're talking about it right now. It's a, it's a very good movie. It's too long. I think it's about 25 minutes too long, but mm-hmm. um, it's got more quality. It's got better jokes, good performances, good writing, crazy awesome stunts. Um, it's an easy four for me. Yeah, it's, that, that's actually going to be my three. So my four... It is Batman and Robin. Sweet! It is actually Batman and Robin, and it's so hard to admit it, especially even though we were just talking shit about it. But I saw it in theaters. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Arnold is so good at it. And now, if you go back and watch it, it's not so bad that it's not enjoyable. It's so bad that it's incredibly enjoyable. Absolutely. And you've got to watch what every single one of those people did with their careers. Silverstone, O'Donnell, Thurman, Clooney. Yeah. Like, Arnold. Anyway, so that's a hard number four and three for me. I'm going to go... Batman and Robin, and then True Lies. True Lies, yes. Schwarzenegger's, like, just, uh, 
he's just legendary in that movie. He's he's the reason the movie is a Yeah, he's just so good. Yeah, yeah. He again, it's the thing we talk about with him. It's the confidence. Freeze, chill, chill. Hey, Batman! You know the dinosaurs died. The, the Ice, Ice Age. Age. That's so good. Uh, that movie on the show. My number three, through and through, should be my number one, but it's it's gotta be Predator. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the thing about Predator is it's not quite as good a movie as one or two for me. So mm-hmm. it's it's more enjoyable to me at times, but I, I have to give the others credit. So Predator for me is an easy three. I think you should just finish the countdown because you have all the rest of my films in there because Predator is my number two. Okay. And then I'm sure your next one is probably either your number two or my number one. So yeah, I went with T1 and T2. Yeah, exactly. T2 is his greatest film of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Same. a better movie than T1. T1's scarier. T1, T1 is sort of like the Reservoir Dogs to T2's Pulp Fiction. Yeah, or the Alien to Aliens. Yeah, it's like you can make arguments for why the original is better because it's like more raw, it's more innovative, but at the end of the day, T, like, T2 is just more developed. Yeah, it's more developed, and, it, and no one talks about T1 as being the greatest anything of all time. They don't, even though it's a phenomenal movie. And they, they might say it's Arnold's greatest movie. That, yeah. that might be it. But T2 is always in the conversation of greatest action movie of all time. Yeah, I believe wholeheartedly that it is the greatest action movie of all time. It's hard, um, to, it's hard to, to argue against that. Yeah, it's just, it's just great through and through. Uh, so that's, that's going to be the top five for me. T2, T1, Predator, True Lies, and Pumping Iron. And mine is uh, T2, Predator, <laughs> True Lies, Batman, and Robin, and Kindergarten Cop. You left Terminator 1 off the list. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> to put in Kindergarten Cop or Batman uh, and Robin. I'm impressed in a horrible way. Yeah, I've, <laughs> this is who you guys are watching. Yeah, so... <laughs> Let's move on to how this movie got made a little bit, guys. Uh, Just a few notes to throw in here. Uh, We'll reference them as we go throughout. On the topic of why this movie never got the sequel made, um, this is hilarious. James Cameron was in development on a Spider-Man the movie starring Michael Bean (laughs) for a long time. I want to watch that movie. I want to watch that one and the Superman one with Nick Cage. How could Michael Bean have played Peter Parker in the 90s? And he was in his 30s, right? Almost 40. He plays Commander Anderson in 1996. Yeah. That guy's like 40. How are you going to have that guy play Peter Parker? I guess you would have just had him as... An older... Yeah, more a grown-up Spider-Man I like how he says, he's like, I was going to do it, but technically it didn't work. I think it's because you realize it was a bad idea. Yeah, it would have been just (laughs) terrible. You can't make that. Um, So let's... uh, let's, let's, We'll we'll reference some of the other stats a little later, but let's get into uh, the people involved. So this film is based on a French film called La Totale, which is written by Simon Michael and Claude Zidi. Schwarzenegger actually saw La Totale, mm-hmm. thought it was great. It's a similar concept. It's a little different, but basically about a, a salesman uh, who you know, is a secret agent. And he brought the, he brought the film and to Cameron, and he said, hey, I think we should, we should make this. And Cameron thought it was great. And Cameron yeah. was like... This was the only time in their whole working together where Arnold approached James to make a film. Yeah. Yeah. And Cameron thought that it was interesting that Schwarzenegger connected to the character, and that's why he wanted to do the movie. So he thought it was a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is which awesome. Is hilarious. <laughs> like, I, I know. That's me. It's yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's think, interesting. Uh, I think if we do this movie together. It'll be fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I love. I, I said that, I, guys. I'm pretty sure whenever Arnold says "fantastic" in a film, it's not actually written in the film <laughs> it's or improvised. in the script. Always. Yeah. Um, so James Cameron hired a team of writers to come on and help him come up with jokes for the film, which I think is interesting because there's another movie that we've covered that James did something like that, right? No, it was. Um... It wasn't James Cameron. It was for Crimson Tide, and it was Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino that's what it was. To yeah, punch up the script. Yeah, and uh, they ended up. He ended up scratching it, firing them, and only keeping two of the jokes. One of which being "You're fired." Hilarious. So they, which is just um, just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, James, I'm pretty shocked you couldn't come up with a better line and just completely cut well, him and not give him any credit. Here's the thing. So. It's perfect to put Schwarzenegger in this movie if you want it to be the sort of cheeky one-liner action comedy that it ended up being. However, could you have made this movie with less jokes, a little less funny, more like like, um, secondary comedy, Mm -hmm. and a different lead? Who could you have cast in 1994 as the lead for this movie that would have been convincing and fun but not like so cornball with the one-liners and actually believable as, you know not a bodybuilder and and how do you not use like if you go okay but you can't use willis gibson and uh you know like, yeah yeah you can't Stallone. use willis because it's like you willis is you i think you could maybe no you can't use gibson because he's a cop 
Because a lethal weapon. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also, like, a little too, like, grizzled, I feel like. Yeah, you can't use Stallone because you can't... No. I wonder if that's a thesis somewhere where any movie that Arnold is the lead and any movie where Stallone is the lead, you can't interchange them. I wonder... You What, what I'm thinking is, like, who is the sort of, like, suave or, like, debonair... Because it's like a James Bond parody. Right. So who is the who's the actual like James Bond? I mean, could you have the made American this movie? James Bond? I guess Brosnan it's, it's in ninety four. Yeah, exactly. Could you have made this movie at Brosnan? Kilmer, Kilmer maybe. Kilmer's not bad. Kilmer could have done it because yeah. he was the saint later on, and that's kind of like a secret agent. That was like ninety six. Yeah, seven. Cruz couldn't have done it because it's ninety four. Because no. he's 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 the year before Mission Impossible. Right. So he wouldn't have made the joke the joke like Mission Impossible James Bond yeah. movie. Um, it's just an interesting thought because, like, it works so well with Schwarzenegger in the role because of the one-liners, but it makes the movie so much, like, sillier than it would otherwise be. Absolutely, because if you had anyone else... I think the You're Fired line is actually a great example of that, is if you had anyone else say the You're Fired line, it would be ridiculous and stupid, and you and you yeah. would laugh for the wrong reasons. Whereas when Arnold says it, you kind of laugh for the wrong and the right reasons. You, you're yeah. not laughing at him. You're laughing with them. Of course, point, because you know? he and he likes to improvise his stick around stick predator around, and all that. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so this movie was based on this this uh, film La Total by Claude Zidi and Simon Michael, Kurt Russell. Two people said three per- people said Kurt Russell, Bruce yeah. Campbell, Travolta. Yeah, I actually think Kurt Russell's really good. I think good Kurt one. Russell's very good. That's uh, super strong, 94. Guys, I love the interaction today. It's fantastic. Uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, there's two movies that you and I both missed well conan's on two different people's lists that we did not the first one yeah barbarian yeah schwarzenegger credits his ability to ride a horse for all of his experience with the conan movies exactly love it and then obviously <laughs> the other one that we knew would be brought up would be total recall yes yeah yeah and recall is a, that's a good one I sweet mean, three boobs yeah so uh, that, that'd probably be my number six yeah um so anyway uh claude Zidi and and simon michael they don't exactly have uh familiar careers that uh uh, what's sorry, sorry. Claude Zidi has a very large career as far as being a, a filmmaker, a writer, a director. So, uh, and Simon Michael has worked on films with him, but neither of them has like a, a lot of American credits. So, no. James Cameron, on the other hand, uh, has a lot of things the on his most financially successful director of all time. Yep, ever. Ever. Um, he uh, he graduated college from uh, Cal State. He drove a truck to support his screenwriting yeah, ambition. Love that. Um, he ended up having all these great partnerships, making the Terminator for very cheap, uh, and then obviously you know his career is this crazy, crazy. I guess the two least relevant movies he ever made. Well, if you take away the documentaries, because nobody right. watched yeah, those. Yeah. But I would say the most irrelevant movie to most people would be The Abyss. That's mm-hmm. the one sort of like... Which is interesting because it is so... It's like such a cult yeah. classic. People love that film. Yeah, that's the one people probably talk about the least. And then I would say True Lies would be the other one that people talk about the least. But otherwise, you're just talking about Terminator 1, Terminator 2, mm-hmm. Aliens, Titanic, and Avatar. <laughs> right. It's an absolutely absurd and ridiculous career. Um, so, yeah, he formed his own production company, Lightstorm Entertainment, Um He's making all these, you know, Avatar movies. He, he's been married five times. Um, these are some good ones. Very successful. Gail Ann Hurd, who was a producer on the Terminator films with him, um, was one of his wives. She's Linda working Hamilton. on a little TV series now, right? Gail Ann Hurd is. What's that TV series called? It's called The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead, right? Yeah, she's she's a gem. Love Gail Ann Hurd. Yeah. Actually, interviewed her before. You have, yeah. Um, Linda Hamilton, uh, mm-hmm. who obviously is Sarah Connor. And also, Catherine Bigelow was another former Who was the first female to ever win Best Director. So, he surrounds himself with good people. Absolutely. Uh, Which, so we move on to producing, and James Cameron obviously loves to produce his own films. Uh, Stephanie Austin was the other person that helped produce this film. She's a a producer that worked on Judgment Day. She also worked on True Lies, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and uh, and Sahara. That was the last thing she did, right? There's not a lot about Stephanie Austin out there. She seems like she's somebody who had the good fortune of working on some great Cameron movies. Do you Uh, think she was maybe his sixth wife? No. In workings? I was was unable to find very much interesting information on Stephanie Austin. I definitely Mm. looked into it, and um, basically her credits are the thing that that she's listed. She's she's on a bunch of variety.com profiles and things like that but there's just not much there um, yeah. she hasn't done anything so, since 05 she has nothing in production so she may have retired at this point she's got sick of doing it yeah 
Uh, so yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about critical and box office here. This is super interesting because, like you said, this was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. Was there something we missed or no? No, no, no. no. Okay, I just wasn't sure. Um, so the studio, uh, this was produced by Fox. It cost one hundred and fifteen million dollars to make in nineteen ninety four. It was released in July. It cost or it made one hundred forty six million domestically and an additional two hundred thirty two foreign or worldwide for a grand total of three hundred seventy eight million dollars in nineteen ninety four. It's Incredible. Crazy. Tripling yeah. its budget. Um, I did pull this, even though it was number one opening weekend, I just had a feeling that 94 was like interesting for yeah. some reason. And it beat out Forrest Gump by only $1.6 million in its second week. Wow. So like, this, so Forrest Gump had already made about $50 million in its first two weeks. Yeah. And it's just interesting because at the time, Tom Cruise, I mean Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks was the Arnold Schwarzenegger of drama. Yeah, right. You know, like anything that he did, we had to see it. Forrest well, Gump, had, Philadelphia, you know. He had like, won the Oscar for Philadelphia the previous year. Yep, and then he won it again for, for, for Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump yeah. which there's a great Adam Sandler sketch on uh, on uh, SNL of him like complaining about his movies coming out the same yeah. year as, as Tom Hanks and how he, he, hasn't, he won't ever win an Oscar because Tom Hanks keeps <laughs> winning them. It's great. Uh, so critically, critically this movie was kind of interesting to me, but um, I don't know. It got a 7.2 on IMDb and then it's followed by a 72% by all critics on Tomatoes, 60% by top, and a 76 by audience. So it still follows our general formula of the audience being the highest score, but I do feel like these scores are... I want to say they're high, but they're not. No. They're not. They're not too high because this movie is a full movie. Right. You know, it, it does do all those things that a lot of these throwaway action movies that end up in the 50s and 60s do that this doesn't or this film does that they didn't i in some ways i'm surprised this actually doesn't have higher numbers with how well loved it is it's it's like i'm surprised the audience scores below 80 yeah that's the one thing that really threw me or took me back yeah this is i mean this is definitely again like if you make the list i think this would fall into most people's sort of top 15 top 10 for their favorite action movie they ever se- they've ever seen which doesn't say much considering independence day is like top five for most people but right um it doesn't change the fact that like people just love what they love so and this movie is extremely well loved we have a graphic up here on the screen Mm -hmm. um talking about cameron and his money yeah well there's two there's two graphics you can pull right so the first one you can pull is the adjusted the domestic adjusted Mm -hmm. which is impressive except that his movies make so much money worldwide and there's never the adjusted worldwide because inflation rates are so different country to country so i just pulled the worldwide unadjusted numbers which you can see it's like totally absurd he has two movies over two billion dollars his two, he directed and created two movies that made over two billion. It, I mean, I'm literally speechless right now. I'm trying to think because I already knew this. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't new knowledge to me. But when you actually look at those numbers, one and two combined for just shy of five billion. This guy has made several billion dollars making movies. Several billion. Let that sink in real quick. Yeah. yeah. You know. Aliens of the Deep is really the redheaded stepchild of this group, though. 12.8 million. Lame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, he arguably is the greatest director of all time, but it's in such a different category. Yeah, right. If you put him in, if you're just going by... You know, I actually watched something really interesting yesterday. Uh, it was a variety actors interviewing actors bit that they do. There's like five Did seasons. you do the Amy Adams? Did you watch the Amy Adams ones? With, no, it was uh, Tom Hanks and Viola Davis. Oh, that's yeah, gotta be good. It was cool. It was really cool, and she—it was just a two-minute clip. I, but she—they're talking, and it's funny because she's essentially saying like, "Yeah, race plays a huge part in the roles that I'm going to get." Um, mm-hmm. All black actors. She's like, you know, it's best case scenario, you're going to get a biopic. You know, she's like, because it's because we all we all get pigeonholed in the same categories of you know being strong right and they're like well i've already invested in this in this historically relevant character so i can get behind this black actor that is odd how like being black is really the only race that kind of pigeonholes you into being only one race in this industry yes exactly and so she's talking about it what's fascinating is tom hanks is white and Mm -hmm. viola davis is black so that conversation serves to be kind of uncomfortable if you try to broach that like it's just those conversations by nature are uncomfortable on camera yeah because it's it's literally like talking to someone about something they can't understand however hanks actually broaches the subject by saying there are certain financial limitations and barriers and and boundaries set forth by these studios with the international viability of movies where Hmm. It's unfortunate that that white like white lead males are these people that have to get cast in these movies. People complain about the Great Wall with Matt Damon, but it's right. like if a studio is going to invest 
1994, $115 million in a movie. An incredible amount of money. So much money. More money than I'll probably ever have in my entire life, even if I'm wildly successful. And, like, and you got to remember, like, it's not just like, oh, well, we lost $115 million. Shit. Let's go on to the next one. It's like, we lost $150 million. We're bankrupt now. We're done. Right. Exactly. Everybody here is going to lose their job. So yeah. it's like, it's one of those things where I, I found it fascinating to hear them talk about it because she didn't, she didn't sound offended by his point of view. She was like, I completely understand what you're saying. And it's not a point of view I had really heard from a lot of people. And when you look at numbers like this, you're like, well, that's the best case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, great. I mean, we spent 115 mil, but you know, it brought back uh, you know almost 400, so we're yeah. doing great. But it's like, not every movie makes 2.1 billion dollars, <laughs> you know? 99.9 percent of them don't. Yeah, it's it was just crazy. Like, do you think that conversation that you just brought up, and I. Don't worry, we're not going to get into race conversation on this yeah. show, but it, it does actually, it's very interesting, because if you guys have been fans of the show for a long time, which I know a lot of you have, Denzel Washington is one of our favorite actors ever. ever. Yeah, he's probably number two on the show behind Cruz. Absolutely. But one thing you do is when you look at Denzel's numbers, and we've done this many times, yeah. they are drastically lower than any other white leading actor in the 90s. Yeah. And I think that what you just said, that's got to be why. Yeah. It's got to 100% be why. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's that's definitely one reason. His um, his branding was never to be a franchise action hero. Right. He did a lot of one-offs. He did a lot of dramatic roles, and he was Oscar bait often, and he mm-hmm. won a lot of awards. But he doesn't have, when you, you're looking at his contemporaries, a lot of those guys that are white males, a lot of those guys have franchises built around them that have right. made... That have made in the hundreds of millions worldwide. Which is crazy because Denzel is so charismatic. He could have been the lead on any number of franchises. Exactly. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a definitely an interesting conversation. I would look that that up, guys. It's on Variety.com. Um, you know, or it's a show that they have or something like that. But the the conversation I found really interesting to hear the two of them talk. I just sort of I was surprised. I was like, there's no way Tom Hanks is gonna be the guy who's leading the subject she'll bring it up but he did and she he's was a little he's a little edgier than people give him credit for or yeah. like he's he's there's more to him there's more substance yeah um people keep talking about this in the chat <clears throat> excuse me so i want to ask is this arnold and james cameron at the height of their powers not cameron not cameron i completely agree with you on that the, and even in schwarzenegger's case i would yeah, yeah, this is the height of Schwarzenegger's I think, I think it is because he goes, James Cameron, I want you to direct this movie that I think is good. Yeah. And, and James Cameron goes, okay. 90, I mean, this was his 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 uh, bounce back because Last Action Hero tanked so yeah. hard. And he didn't make a movie in 92. And, and 91 had been T2. So, uh, you know, 91, Terminator 2, that's the that's the zenith. That's the height of Schwarzenegger's fame as, a, as an action hero. Mm-hmm. That's where his he's had the, all the Olympias. He's had the whole 80s of successful action movies. Now he's got the second successful movie that made all this money in the franchise, Oscar nominations. He gets free reign, and this movie comes out. It's another camera movie. It's a huge hit. This is the moment, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, for Cameron, the height of his power is still now. He still is the most powerful director in Hollywood in the sense that that guy can make whatever he wants for any budget, and it will happen. Like, I, I think, honest to God, though, as the numbers tell a different story, but he's not taken seriously as an artistic genius 2009 was avatar is that what in I'm the saying? same way that he was post titanic absolutely because i think post titanic there was the opportunity and he made documentaries for a few years and then when avatar came out though it made all this money a lot of people talk about avatar as like you know sci-fi fern gully and like yeah it, it he's making three sequels it's like they're gonna make a ton of money i as a movie fan don't have any interest in those how many movies. times have you seen avatar once all the way through where in the theaters exactly that's 90% of the audience out there. So, yeah, I think I think you actually prove a better point there. I think Titanic, right after Titanic, yeah. is the height of his power, and he didn't take advantage of it the way he should have. But he's a genius. Absolutely. That, so, this is, he didn't this have is, to. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm saying is it's not like he's a genius, like we're saying anything negative. I mean, look, James Cameron is, you, just, you said earlier in the show, he may be the greatest director of all time, and it's not just based on the money. It's based on what he's created. Yeah. We've said it numerous times on the show, guys, but go back and watch the scene where Ripley goes through the Queen Alien's nest in, yeah. in, in, at the end of Aliens in 86. Or just go back and watch the opening scene of Aliens where they're in that the the old cockpit or yeah. whatever. And even just that opening, you and I were like, damn, this is this looks like it could have been made now. Yeah. It's amazing. It's uh, he's he is unrivaled, unparalleled. He's just it's he's an absolute genius. So I think what's so cool and I've seen both uh, Ghost of the Abyss and I've also seen Aliens of the Deep. Um Aliens of the Deep I've seen more times, but they're very cool movies. They're yeah. like 
he's just somebody who likes to explore and go do cool shit. So when we say he's not at the peak of his powers anymore, he could be at the peak of his powers in a year if Avatar 2 comes out and it's like... It's amazing. But it seems like he... It seems highly Making likely. the decision to make three more Avatars is not as creative and like brilliant, I feel like, as he has once been in his career. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think Titanic... T2 and Aliens were his three greatest accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, King to be here, who we're going to answer his question later in the show, um, to touch on what we would just we had just been talking about. He said, uh, I'm black, and it's just a fact that, unfortunately, when, you see, when people see a black male lead or a black lead in any film, they feel it's a film directed towards black audiences yeah. and their demographic, which is not true, but that does make a lot of sense. And I, I guess that's another way to, another thing to, to throw in that equation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think the, when you... I think when you back off of the conversation coming from the point of view of uh, fairness, equality, and the way things should be, because obviously there's issues in this country that major issues and things aren't the way they should be. But when you back off of that point of view and realize that the system in place that creates economics in our country is in place because it's worked for companies for a reason. Mm -hmm. I don't own a a movie studio. I never will. I I won't ever have a billion dollars. I'm never going to be the person signing the check or making the decision. So it's like... It's not my decision to change things. It's those people's decision. But unfortunately, there's an infrastructure that exists below and above those people that inform them to make the decisions they make, which is why Hanks can say something like, it's just unfortunately the way it works. If they're going to invest the money, they have to see the, they have to look at the numbers and statistics to say, we can get our money back. How are we going to do that? You know? And I think that I think his, his verbiage is so crucial. It's just the way it works and it has worked. Yeah. And, and, can that change? Absolutely. Will Definitely. it change? Who knows? How long will it take? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, thank you for, uh, for for adding there and contributing. It's a it's a it's obviously a sensitive subject, and uh, I'm a white male, so it's not one that. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not. I'm not. And it's okay. It's good. <laughs> Actually, it's it is nice to talk about real issues on our show sometimes because a lot of it's just fun. So let's get back to the fun. Let's move on and talk about our favorite line. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think it's not, no surprise where my favorite line comes from. Yeah. So does mine. Yeah. And I would almost I. <laughs> I almost would just say that his entire... It's Bill Paxton. <laughs> Clearly. Paxton's, like, entire conversation with Schwarzenegger in the car... The car is amazing. I could I could pull line after line. I also love when he's like... He's like, he's like, so what's your... What's he say? Like, what's your secret? And he's like, no, no, no. And then it cuts them just eating hot dogs. He's like, like All right, here here's it how it works. He's <laughs> <laughs> just the best. See? You're in this car with me. Okay. Because it's you. Yeah. He's like... Yeah, he's just amazing. So my favorite line is when he's talking about Jamie Lee Curtis, and he's talking about who she is, great set of tits, ass like a 10-year-old boy. Like, yeah. what the fuck does who that mean? Said, like, he literally is the most repulsive creature out there, but he love him. Yeah. He's, you love him. If I if I was talking to you about a woman <laughs> that I saw in a bar, like, if I was like, I saw this really hot chick, she had an ass like a 10-year-old boy, I'd be like, gross, dude. Like, what is wrong Get with you? Get out of here. What are you talking about? What? A 10-year-old boy? Did you just say that out loud? Did you say 10-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, it's just packs, and it's just brilliant. Yeah. I hope uh, that was one of the two jokes Cameron left in the movie. I agree too, right? <laughs> uh, my favorite line is also a Paxton line, and he goes, uh, she's like, Paris? He's like, yeah, Paris. The little stopover in London. He like has his back to it. He makes that face. I think my favorite line is actually the smirk. Yeah, but the smirk—it's because uh, he can't even—he can't even get enough of himself. He yeah. can't even believe himself when he's saying it's shit. Incredible. Like, That's so good. Yeah, Paxton is the best. Should just be both of our theses that Paxton is the best part of this film. Yeah, he's amazing. He definitely is. Easy. Any lines on the favorite lines there on the chat? Uh, I don't know. You guys got any favorite lines here? Top three shit weasels ever. Definitely. Paxton. Yeah. yeah. Easy. Xander yeah. Berkeley. Xander Berkeley. Who's the other greatest shit weasel of all time? Tate Donovan. Tate Donovan's a real good one. It's a good I love, shit that's weasel. A good ones. Ah, uh, nah. Let's let's uh, let's move. Oh, wait, her thighs stem. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so the next thing we get into are the three categories of this movie. But we have two AMA questions this week that kind yeah. of both relate to the categories. So it's at AMA Podcast Guys hashtag AMA Question. We ask them every week, and I think you guys are gonna be pretty fucking excited about the pitch so uh, prepare yourselves for the AMA question because I think you'll want to send them in guys if we don't get like 50 AMA questions from you you guys are doing it wrong yeah because it's huge okay so I'm gonna start with King to be since he's been in the chat the whole time and we shout him out the beginning this is King to be at K King to be he said is true lies the quintessential ridiculously legitimate 90s movie action movie the quintessential ridiculously legitimate 90s action movie well okay 
the quintessential in, in the sense that if you're going to rank them, like what's the best or like what we would rank on the show based on our preferences. Yep. There it's a it's a difficult distinction because look, Point Break is made in 1991, The Rock is made in 1996. Like our our favorite movies, The Face Off, I mean th- these are all movies from the 90s. Yeah. On the other hand, um there are arguments to be made about this movie and it's the scope, the stunts, the budget, all those things. So I'm going to say no. I am as well, and my reasoning is because Actually, let, 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 please finish your thought. I'm going to say no, and it's. I think it's just because this movie, as entertaining as it is, is about 25 minutes too long, and it didn't spawn. It didn't spawn any character or scene for me. Right. That has lived on as like something I've talked about fifty times. Character. The, yeah. The, the shower room scene in the rock, or like some of the quotes from Face Off. Um, uh, the quotability and entertainment of a point break time after time. I mean, yeah. Swayze's best role. Predator like, is another one of the ridiculously legitimate movies. I know it's not from the nineties, yeah. but it's just like those speed quality, yeah. or caliber of films. I'm going to say no for two reasons, because I think the greatest ridiculously legitimate movie of all time is the rock. We've talked about that on the show many times. So not that your question isn't a good question. It's a great question. It's just, it's kind of fighting an uphill battle on this show for us because we love Point Break and The Rock so much. There, I mean, there are like qualities in this movie that that elevated above those. Fantastic, yeah, absolutely, sure. yes. Yeah. Um, but the the real reason is because I don't think this movie is ridiculously legitimate. I think this movie is totally ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. We we'll get in the categories. So to answer your question, I'm going to say no. I don't believe so. I think it's close. But I think that The Rock is, for me, the most quintessential 90s, ridiculously legit action movie. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Okay. And then the other one we got is from Octane Fetty. This is at WWJPOHT on Twitter. He says, between True Lies, Aliens, and T1, does Cameron cover the whole ranking spectrum perfectly? Well, no. Close. Hmm. But that's for me, because this is totally ridiculous, and I would put both Aliens and Terminator 2 in the totally legitimate category. Aliens and T2. I don't think that he has a movie out of those three that's ridiculously legitimate. I just don't think he does. No, no. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So... I think think T2, I've said many times, is one of our barometers for totally legitimate. That's like a great example of a movie that takes subject matter that's obviously, you know, sci-fi and Terminators and, and is totally frightening and awesome and intense and powerful and dramatic same as aliens and i think aliens does the same thing i mean you can make arguments for aliens because like aliens has more comic relief in bill paxton Mm -hmm. um and it's it's definitely a little bit more of like a silly action movie but it's pretty fucking sweet it's really sweet and it's again i think one of the biggest things about this whole legitimacy thing is laughing when you're supposed to and laughing when you're not supposed to exactly and in this conversation we would have to sit here and argue with ourselves to to put these movies in all three categories. Yeah, and because we can't. I laugh. I, I laugh throughout True Lies, both yeah. at, both in the scenes I'm supposed to and the ones I'm not. Exactly. And like you said, it is too long. Um, so unfortunately, guys, with both questions, we're gonna have to say no today. I, I really don't think that he covers the spectrum perfectly. I think that Arnold easily does. Yeah. In his films, I think that if you said Predator T two and True Lies, I'd say that's the perfect cover yeah, the perfect of the three, three categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Octane Fetty and King to Be, thank you guys so much for asking these amazing questions. And we actually just answered the categories question as well, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Yeah. I think we agree. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we we consider action movies are in three categories: totally legitimate, totally ridiculous and ridiculously legitimate. You can fill in the blanks on what those are. Uh, True Lies is a totally ridiculous movie. It is. It's almost ridiculously legitimate, but it's not. But not quite. So, guys, we have one thing left today to discuss, and that's called... The Pitch! Oh, wait a minute. Before we talk about The Pitch, actually, Marissa was kind enough to pull something together that I wanted to show earlier, and I forgot to show it. Oh, my God, how could we forget this? Uh, Guys, uh, wait for it, wait for it, because we have a great pitch for you. We're going to reintroduce that. We'll back it up. Uh, in the 90s, guys, there was this great character on The Simpsons called McBain, and he was played Bane. by Rainer Wolfcastle, who was basically Schwarzenegger. Three of his bodyguards yeah. and drove a bus to his front door. The cop and I have proof that he's head of an international <laughs> drug cartel. I don't want to hear it, McBain. You're out of here. <laughs> uh, and this was all spliced together. Like, like Homer would go to the video store and be like, ooh, McBain. And then they would show this clip. Right. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite. 
Make it to a pension. Come on, live a little, Scoy. Come on, live a little, Scoy. Two days away from retirement, my daughter's graduating from college. Little Susie's going up. <laughs> going up. Like we always wanted. We just christened a boat. Live forever. Yes, sir. Everything's gonna be just. Forgot how bloody uh, yeah. some episodes of The Simpsons were. Yeah. Bang! Bang! Yes. Yes. <laughs> stop talking crazy. Oh, stop talking crazy. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just <laughs> All right, Marissa. That, that about does it for us. Thank you so much. Thank you for so that. much for queuing that sucker up. Uh, so yeah, guys. If, if you there's that was brilliant because in the '90s, every yes. episode of Simpsons that anytime Homer would see that on the screen or like watching it at home, they actually all formed a story and they clipped yeah. them all together. There's like six or seven clips that create this three and a half minute little like McBain mini movie. So it's just funny in the same way that you know we we love all these spoofs. Uh, that I quote that a lot. So uh, back to the last thing on the show, and that's called the pitch. Wow, back here we are. Here we are back again. Do so guys, do. we uh. We started the show uh, 80, 81 episodes ago, and we had all these rules in place and movies that we wouldn't do. And you've seen us uh, step outside of them, movies we wish uh-huh. we could do, Lord of the Rings. We talked about the trilogy as an episode. We've talked about Braveheart. This film is one film that I had been arguing does actually fit our rules. Yes. Uh, but it was it's very difficult. For a long time, we had considered it, and the conclusion that we came to was that, you know what? we got to do the movies that have action in them that we love the most. Um, who knows how long we do this show for, and we want to make sure we talk about all the ones we love. Right. So uh, this is one of both of our five favorite movies ever made. I'm, like, tingling right now. I can't yeah. wait for you to say it. One of our five <laughs> favorite movies ever made. It has maybe the greatest performance on screen I've seen in an action movie in my life. Yeah. Uh, and, and almost in any movie. And that's going to be... The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight! 2008! Yes! yes! One of the greatest films of all time. I saw it at midnight. There was a Batman and Joker dressed up in the audience having an argument until the film started. I will never forget watching this movie. It's the uh, the year before this movie came out, I had a co-worker named Ian Faddis. He's my roommate. Shout out, Ian. And uh, we, he was obsessed. He was obsessed, and so was I. And we, I had a Google alert on my phone for news. Um hours on my computer so I got the news on this every day I would search different variations on it just anything anything Anything. I could find the second trailer is legendary it's one of the great trailers ever made we'll show that next week that'll be a fun one to break down I can't wait Um, that's a great one I mean the performance by Heath Ledger is legendary it's I remember this movie coming out walking out of it and just feeling like wow I've never been so hyped for something and felt that satisfied after watching it and then on the other side of that this is our show. This is Action Movie Anatomy. We talk about these movies uh, in a very critical sense. And a lot of people talk about Dark Knight being a little too long and that third chapter being yeah. a little excessive. So I can't wait to talk about yeah, it. It's going to be a fucking blast. I love it so much. Um, so, guys, tweet at us at AMA Podcast with the hashtag AMA Question with your question of the day. If you want to be featured at the end of an episode like like uh, King to Be and Octane Fetty were here to discuss these questions, uh, we will absolutely be doing one or two next week. You guys have been really fun with that recently. If you want to follow along with me personally, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me uh, at Andrew, I almost said at Ben Bateman Media, at Andrew Guy <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram as well. And. You can- Marissa Serafini, who's the excellent engineer and uh, producer on the show, who's up in the booth today. Marissa, are you excited for the, for the Dark Knight? Oh, for sure. I remember when the Dark Knight came out because it came out on my golden birthday. There you go. Sweet. What's a, a golden bit. birthday again? Is that when you turn the number, year, age as the date in the month? Oh. Oh. I wonder if I've ever had one of them. I got to be forty-five soon. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I have to do. Yeah. Four yeah. and five. Uh, <laughs> Okay, guys, thank you so much for watching, and is that it? Is that everything we covered? That's the show. That's the show. Thanks for watching, guys. Thanks, Marissa. Take care. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 